0: Three, two, one, and we are back. And this is part two. We are talking about how to negotiate for on behalf of your buyers and sellers in this market. Before we get to part two and the next point, uh, we have been receiving, or I have received, Julie, a lot of comments, especially over on Instagram at Tim and Julie Harris, where people are asking about being in your private coaching schedule. And I'll tell you guys what we said a couple weeks ago. Julie does have very, very limited um, scheduling ability. That's just the bottom line and she's very picky. I'm speaking on your behalf. You are. Yes, it's true. And so here's the process. If you're interested in being personally coached by Julie, you've got to text me. Um, and I'm essentially pre-qualifying everyone. So just text me at 512-758-0206. And when you do, I will ask you, well, actually do me a favor and give me a profile. Let me know about yourself. If you got a family, your business, how long you've been in the business homes, you've sold all the rest of it. Let me know about what your background is and then we'll have a little back and forth, and some cases we won't. I'll just know you're a perfect uh, candidate for Julie, and then you'll talk with Julie, and then guess what? You're going to pre-qualify Julie, and she's going to pre-qualify you, and assuming that you guys are a great coach-client match, then you're going to be in Julie's schedule, so that's the way it works, so text me directly at 512-758-0206, and also, I want to thank all of you, and we do sincerely appreciate this, all of you who have given us five-star reviews on iTunes, especially those of you who've uh, told your personal stories about what you've learned, how you've benefited. It means a ton to us to read. It motivates us, frankly. This, pop, this topic, by the way, for this week was uh, inspired by some of the comments on iTunes. You know, So we do listen. We do pay attention. Yes, there are tens of thousands of you that listen every single day. Yes, there are literally tens of millions of you who have downloaded this podcast, but this is something... This podcast... Along with frankly our coaching business, it's highly personal to Julie and I. This business is our first baby. It is. <laughs> Zoe's so. Zoe, though, and I think she knows it. Yes. <laughs> she now she's our real baby, obviously. Mm-hmm. But this business has been something Julie and I've, you know, we've done we've done together for decades. And so we take it very seriously and we appreciate the fact that you guys are now really seeing the difference between a real coach and a fake coach. And I you know, Julie and I are not ones to mince words, and that is the reality, and some of you have learned that the hard way. Um, that unfortunately, there is an enormous difference. Um, you know, I was thinking about this, Julie, actually. We mm-hmm. should have, t- you talk sometimes about the landing of planes, but you know, I was thinking about how important it is to once, like, how do I, how do I poise, how do I frame this out? If you guys are trying to shoot an arrow downfield at a target and um, you're trying to basically make sure you hit bullseye, if you're off, and you know this, if you're off when you're, before you even release the arrow, by just a millimeter by the time that arrow reaches down target between the pull of gravity and the wind direction and the arrow itself and all the rest of these you know things your arrow could completely miss the target end up maybe even like you know feet many feet away and that's unfortunately what a lot of you have done in your businesses with the people you've been listening to and you know the gurus that you've thought were legitimate now you're discovering they aren't and here's unfortunately what's going to happen You are that arrow, you're traveling downfield, you're headed to that target. You can kind of see that you're not on target, but you have not yet given yourself permission to actually be re-aimed so you can actually hit target. Maybe the decision you made in the past to do whatever you were doing to build your real estate business worked in the previous market. Maybe it didn't, it doesn't matter. What the point is now is you have to be back in alignment, otherwise you're gonna completely miss the target. And there's so many things, unfortunate things in life that can, I mean, your health, your relationships with other people, all these tiny little degree, uh, you're just off by a tiny little degree here or degree there. The accumulation effect of being in that, you know, being misdirected over a period of time can ruin, frankly, all your possibilities, can ruin health, can ruin relationships, can ruin your business potential, can ruin your wealth building. So you've got to be incredibly selective in who you listen to and just trust your intuition. And one of the things Julie and I always say, because it is true, is when you hear Julie and I say something that you uh, like kind of recoil over, and I know it happens because you guys tell us what those things are in comments, Like when we ask you to do something and you think to yourself, ooh, I'll never do that, guess what? That's the very damn thing you should be doing and intuitively you know it. So the old saying is whatever you're resisting the most is where your growth needs to be. That's the point of this podcast and we adore the fact that you guys, so many of you understand that and maybe you need to give yourselves permission to uh, forgive yourselves for being off direction or off course for as long as you have. You're back on course now. Stay drilled down. Stay focused. And thanks for all the five-star reviews and the piffy comments on iTunes. Like I said, we do read them. And there's your evidence because I just sort of encompassed a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is your opportunity to give Julie and I a belated birthday present. Uh, this month, we have a combined age of 105. <laughs> or is it four? Hold on, let me think. Oh, crap, it is 105. In
1: realtor years, or at least a <laughs> thousand. Well, right? you no, can no. our ages just, together. Yes, I know. That's now, true. I'm
0: not going to say how old you are. No. No, we're not saying that.
1: We'll just say more of the years fall on your side. That's, well, more of the year. Bit. No, no, <laughs> too many clues. Okay, so back to our series on negotiating. And this is a four part series plus some bonus points, I'm sure, along the way. So this is day two, part two. What do you know about the seller's priorities? Yesterday we talked about the house, the subject property. Today is all about the seller. Knowledge equals confidence, ignorance equals fear. Remember that negotiating is reaching an acceptable agreement between parties who have different needs. Find out what's important to each party so that you can give and take on both sides in such a way that everyone feels satisfied. Now, these points are relevant for you if you're the listing agent or the buyer's agent. Just keep in mind what you're able to disclose or not disclose, depending on what side you're on, but ask good questions and take good notes. Now, Benjamin Franklin famously said, quote, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. So we hope that you are not failing in your negotiations, and this is part of your preparation to make sure that you succeed, knowing about your seller. So point number one, what is the seller's motivation? Why are they moving? Do they want to move or do they have to move or have they already moved? How do
0: you know? You pre-qualify them. That's how you know. And you ask them the questions to know what their true motivation is. You have to understand that very. you're going to find 50% of the time the seller is not going to want to readily tell you what their motivation is.
1: That's right, but you have to get to the bottom of it because how they negotiate or their expectations is very different. So generally a seller who has already bought their next home is more motivated than one who's only moving if they can get their price and hasn't even looked for a next property. Ask the listing agent if it's not you, the listing agent, and see what you can find out about the situation. Now, sometimes you can tell because the house is vacant. This
0: is a great place to interject. This is something you and I talked about the other day. Yes. Um, most of you, again, all of you basically, have only been in the business for 15 years or less. Something like 74% of all uh, percent of all agents or something like that, according to NAR, have been in the business for 15 mm-hmm. years or less. But here's the interesting thing to consider. If you have never been in the business for, you know, during the time prior to the housing boom in 07, you don't realize that people will sell and buy for normal reasons. People (laughs) buy and sell because their houses, their homes, their families get bigger, the houses get too big or that all these different, you know, uh, situational things, right? Maybe they got relocated. Maybe they inherited the house. Maybe the, you know, whatever reason they have to move, you, the people, humans will always move no matter what the interest rates are, no matter what the you know political headwinds are, no matter what's going on with anything, they're always going to need to buy or sell real estate. Now, you've got to realize what a blessing that is to you because you happen to be selling something, dear listener, that everybody will need no matter what happens to the economy. Now, what does a tougher economy or rising interest rates or Rising unemployment, or all these types, it knocks out the mar- the marginally motivated seller or the marginally motivated mm-hmm. buyer. But there'll always be people that have to buy and sell. When you go all the way back in time, you use our statistics to research all this. Or the other one you're really liking on is what Altos Research. Yes, you and did. you go back in time mm-hmm. and you start looking to see when these peaks of inflation go back from 2007. I'm sorry, 2000 1970. Dear God. <laughs> That's when one of us was born, 1970 to 1980, and that was during a really rough time in the economy, lots of inflation, lots of reasons that people would believe real estate was going to crash. And yet, people bought and sold.
1: In fact, your parents and my parents both bought their houses during those very high inflationary times, way worse than it is now, and I think that they were paying definitely double digits, I think. The highest the rates got then were something like very close to 18%. That's
0: right. 18% mortgages, which by the way, as an aside for those of you who are interested in investing, that also was 18% treasury bonds. And if you were smart enough to have gotten a long-term treasury bond to say even half that, you made a lot of money.
1: (laughs) Yes. So there were still opportunities. They were just different ones. Now, here's some immediate homework for you listing agents out there. Do you know the motivation of all of the sellers whose listings you have active right now? If not, find out. Now, there's, for obvious reasons, it'll help you with negotiating. But I'll tell you, as a coach, one of the, the obvious things that I see slipping through listing agents' fingers, when they have a seller relocating to another town or another state, they almost never ask about referring that out. There's like all these lost referral fees floating out there. So that's a different topic. Well,
0: but also, Julie, scale that, right? So if you have somebody that's downsizing out of their family house and they're their kids have all gone off to wherever they've gone. They might have other properties that they want to sell. There are a lot of people that were, you know, essentially reluctant landlords. And in mm-hmm. other words, they had properties that maybe were supposed to be vacation properties, and now that they're, they're long-term rentals or the VRBOs or whatever. Make sure you ask what else is for sale because here's what happens if you don't, or what else else they might want to sell. If you don't ask because you're being lazy, mm-hmm. they and then they list that with somebody else. You're gonna be mad at them. Where's your fault for not asking? That's right. These are all part of our pre-qualification scripts. The whole point. Once you proactively lead, generate. You know, you've got to pray. You have to completely pre-qualify. You will find that in. You know, we tell you guys this all the time. That for every listing. There are multiple transactions, and oftentimes that seller is going to be directly responsible for not just the sale of their property, that's one transaction. Maybe you double-end it, that's two. The seller is going to buy something, that's three. You guys get the point? Mm-hmm. You've got to ask, but it all comes from being a listing agent. In this market right now is your best time to become a listing agent, more so than any time, frankly, in almost the last, well, certainly 15 years.
1: Yes, absolutely. So point number two, what is the seller's ideal closing and possession date? Do they have a specific timeframe that's important to them? Do they need a leaseback or a longer or shorter closing timeframe? Are they building or relocating or have other concerns about how the timing will work out? This can really sway a negotiation. In fact, sometimes you can end up paying a little bit less than you thought if you satisfy something really specific that the seller is sensitive to
0: and do not assume the seller has any clue how long a property is going to take to sell and close do not assume no. the seller is in any way competent with basically protecting your own best interests so if you find in our scripts by the way we give you three or four ways of finding out what the seller's motivation is and here's a little dance coaching for you. A lot of times, the sellers that are the most motivated will be the ones that are least likely to tell you their motivation. In other words, they're having some issue that's forcing the sale of the property. True. They're absolutely must-sell sellers. And they don't want you to know. And maybe they don't want you to know because they don't want you to know how motivated they are, or maybe they're embarrassed. It does not matter. You've got to know. That way, you can set the expectation for how long. Like, say, for example, they have to sell the house in four months. But you do not know they have to sell the house in four months and you do not price it accordingly and then when uh, month three ticks over and you're under the fourth month that seller is going to fire you yep for sure
1: it's the, for their own good to right. that you know right so that creates some nuance and some skill you've got to have okay point number three what else besides price is important to the seller do they have a stainless steel fridge they just can't part with would <laughs> they rather include all the furniture with the sale they just don't feel like moving all of it Or are they taking the hot tub and the pool table? Remember, it was like an endless supply. It's almost always single, guys. Got to keep that stainless steel refrigerator and or the pool table and, you know, all
0: of those things. But this is funny. Julie and I have had the fantasy of starting a business. (laughs) Here are the things that no seller seems to want. They don't want their damn pool table. Nope. They rarely want their piano, especially if it's an upright they'll be more than happy sometimes to leave their hot tub. Oh, they definitely don't want the hot tub. Who
1: wants to move that? Well, how do you even move a hot tub?
0: You can't even clean the damn thing at this point. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing they'll leave uh, is the dining room set. Yes. So oftentimes you'll find yourself, if you ever wanted to have a little, you know, side hustle, you could start essentially in a consignment store where you specialize in pools, hot tubs, <laughs> dining room tables.
1: Well, we joke about that, but I actually have a coaching client who started a uh, staging company on the side. <laughs> and so sometimes it just depends. She's got different programs that she does and she advertises her staging company independently of her real estate practice and guess what kind of leads she gets listing leads that's awesome so there you go okay now uh next is point number four has the seller had other offers and perhaps turned them down
0: maybe even private offers maybe the property wasn't listed before maybe the seller Mm -hmm. has a that's really important it's all about prequal again Find out if the seller had mentioned the house was thinking, they're thinking about selling it and the neighbor's best friend is moving from Omaha. You got to find out if there's any side conversations going on like that. And if there are, you need to exclude them from the listing contract. That way you still get the listing.
1: That's right. And if there were offers turned down, well, what was wrong with those offers? What was the situation? How can you win this time? Or maybe they just have unrealistic expectations. Find out what happened if they had offers that didn't work out. Now, point number five has but, Julie. Yeah, that's ahead.
0: again. I, that's such an important point, and it was such a short point. Expired. This is true. True. And a lot of FISBOS were formally expired. Find out what's going on there. You really got to dig. You really got to pre-qualify. You really got to know. And again, this is about negotiating, right? Can you just in your minds, listeners, can you imagine how much more confident you're going to feel representing your buyer or representing your seller when you know all the answers to these questions opposed to have, or versus having all this come out in a negotiation process? I mean, I, I remember like um, <laughs> when we sold real estate, you had an appraisal. You told me, you've told this story before in the podcast. It wasn't an appraisal, it was an inspection and there was a whole bunch of crap that came back on the inspection yeah. that the seller did not claim to have known about mm-hmm. did not put on their property disclosure form mm-hmm. and then you sent the and by the way we teach you guys how to negotiate property inspections too that's a big part of premier coaching and you sent the property inspection from the buyer's agent along with their remedy to request mm-hmm. and the buy, or the seller like and you it was a lot and yeah. the seller was like you were expecting a seller to say, hell to the no. Mm-hmm. And the seller not only said yes, but they laughed at it and said, well, at least they didn't find X. You remember I that? No,
1: And you know what? That didn't happen <laughs> just once. That happened several times. Well, at least they didn't find out about the, ah, cover your ears. You don't want to know because <laughs> now you have to disclose, right? Yes. But, you know, there is a coaching thing to that. And we did, I think a few months back, we did something about dealing with home inspections because it yeah, was when it just started to crop up again, right? We, you guys get to have home inspections sometimes now, um, where... And I remember when I learned this, I think maybe Rory taught us this. He he said, when you get a long grocery list of something or you get a lowball offer, present it and shut up. Yeah. And I thought, well, okay, we'll try that. Right. And we started doing that. And he was so right about that. It's not about you. It's not about what you would do present it and be quiet and see what they say. And you're right. Half the time on inspections, they'd be like, yeah, we knew about that. We'll take care of that.
0: And that's on the buyer seller side. So again, if you guys are sweating home inspections, uh, you just when the, you say you're on the listing side, take the unsatisfactory conditions report. Those of you who don't know what that is, that's basically where the, it's the buyer's hit list of all the things they want fixed on the Request property. Request to remedy, they Exactly. Call or they'll ask for a dollar amount mm-hmm. and then get a copy of the actual inspection that the buyer's agent used. Send that to the seller and just uh, say nothing. Like, do not contribute. Do not negotiate. Do not start acting like you're Bob Vila. And
1: don't act like you're all outraged that they asked either.
0: Exactly. Don't let your ego creep in. Oh, this is where I'm going to get to work. And shut up. Let the (laughs) seller decide for themselves. You'll be shocked how frequently they knew all that crap was wrong and they were going to fix it anyway. And on the buyer agent side of things... Same thing. Let the, buyer, let, let the buyer decide what they want to ask for and write it up just however they want it written up. Do not make it so the process blows up just because you don't think uh, that you're trying to over-negotiate the deal, basically.
1: That is a big mistake, and I, I see that happening very frequently now because they're not used to dealing with it. Okay, point number five. Has the home been in contract previously and returned to active marketing? What caused that? Inspection, condition, appraisal, financing issues? if it was an inspection issue were those things resolved or is or are we just going to go through that all over again
0: one of the hacks for this again advanced coaching is when you're taking a listing in this market have it pre-inspected then have all the things that were on the inspection mm-hmm. uh, corrected show before and after pictures show receipts of the work being done leave said inspection with the evidence of the remedies being done on the countertop when the buyer's agent brings the buyer into the house they'll see all the inspections were done if you get a seller that is reluctant to do that, what do you think the reason why the seller is reluctant to have it pre-inspected? <laughs> why because that Because they know the house is a house of horrors, and they don't want to have to fix all the things. You can explain to them the ramifications of not having it pre-inspected and having the work done ahead of time. Inevitably, it'll cost more. A leaky faucet that would cost, you know, five cents to fix, basically, when in, in a buyer's mind with their home inspector and the buyer's agent, that's now $500, <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you know, that's a whole, that is a whole can of worms with the inspection thing because I really, my heart goes out to those of you who sell old and really old houses. Like we did. Oh my goodness. And even like in the East Coast where houses can be 300 years old out (laughs) there, you know, there's, it's tough. But the pre-inspection I think is brilliant. And those of you who are freaking out going, well, what seller is going to pay a home inspector $500 to do that if they don't have to? Well, assuming you get the right home inspector, there are inspectors that whip through you and this is a benefit you can offer to your sellers will do a major system inspection. You don't have to do the whole shebang, but you should do the HVAC, the plumbing, the electric, all that kind of stuff.
0: All right. So there, when Julie and I were selling real estate, right? And we did sell real estate for 10 years between 100 and 200 homes per year. So there was a property that came for sale. um, And this property had, it was beautiful. It was newer construction. It was a two story. It was like in this sort of, you know, East Coasty type old Worthington. Okay. Yes. All right, now, here's the thing. You walked into this house, and it was just perfect. Everything was great about it. Until you looked at the home inspection report, it turns out there were, ready for it, wait for it, oh, here it comes, <laughs> dead bodies in the backyard. Now, let me be very specific what those dead bodies were. It wasn't just an old graveyard. It was a graveyard of people who had like a hundred years or so prior died of what was it, the black plague or something. Something
1: nasty. And the body what is, is the l- Spanish flu. I don't know. Whatever. Something yucky. It was
0: something, wor- but no, no, it wasn't the Spanish flu. It was something worse than that. Yeah. And it was settlers or something, mm-hmm. and they buried them there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was basically, the, they were they never had exhumed the bodies yes. and, and because they're worried about it being a continual health well, let's risk. Let's just
1: say you're not going to be digging a basement there. That's
0: a hell of a thing to read on a home inspection, don't you think, listeners?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you never know, right? I Yes. In that same neighborhood, you remember, we were looking at that historic home, and we went out, and it was really cool, and it had been rehabbed, and we went in the attic, and they had the old, like, Raccoon skin, I totally remember
0: that. All that, yeah, yeah, but that was creepy and cool because the house I, it was blue. The house, yes, I remember, yeah, yeah, it was um Griswold, wasn't it?
1: I think so, yeah, yeah, it was uh, the, one of the, the founders of Old Worthington in
0: 1806, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the original founders in the you know, in 1806, say the house was built in 1805 or seven or whatever, and obviously back then there was no you know grocery store so your grocery store was what was available in the local forest and those skins and whatnot julie's
1: describing were original to the house yes which i mean honestly probably leave those because it you know that's okay and creepy i know and uh you know there are neighborhoods in charleston south carolina that where the house actually sells for more the more historic it is meaning that you didn't put a furnace in and it's still on all those old fireplaces
0: and a lot of the houses in downtown charleston which we've done before if you guys those of you who live in that area you know what i'm talking about <laughs> The ones that are on the haunted uh, house tours. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, haunted Charleston. Yeah, you know, it's funny too. I bet you some of those houses sell for more.
1: I bet they do. There's a whole
0: know. genre of people that look for haunted VRBOs.
1: I know. There is, is, it's, there's so many rabbit holes That is can some go kind down. of board. It is. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> is your listing one of them? Should it be? All right. So point number six. Does that increase the value or decrease? Depends I on your market. Know your comps. All right. Number six. Is this a competing <laughs> offer situation? If so, how many offers? If not, what has the showing activity been? Does the listing agent have interest from their own buyers? What will it take to get the winning bid? What is the situation? Are there a whole bunch of showings set for this weekend? Are they going to do an open house this weekend? What is the, you know, the time situation for getting this done? So is there a competing offer situation? Find out.
0: Let me inject something here, mm-hmm. Julie. So you might be in a situation where you know that the listing agent's trying to double in the house, and God bless them, that's their entitlement. That, if it's the best deal uh, for the seller, if it makes the most sense financially, certainly not anything unethical about selling yep. your own listing to your own buyer. But here's the problem. Your buyer and you, frankly, are going to be suspicious that your uh, essentially your offer is not being presented in the full light of what the potential of it. You can write as a buyer's agent in the contract that the, you are the buyer agent is going to be the one that presents the offer to that listing sure, agent. you can do that. Now, if it is not a confident listing agent, they're going to get very nervous about that. And I think in some states, Julie, you'll know more about this than me, you can actually, can't you bypass the listing agent and present the offer directly to the buyer without permission? You can always permission? do
1: that. In fact, one of my coaching clients who has had to compete over and over and over and just got sick of it, her strategy, which has worked, was to go old school with a paper contract. Yep. So let's say that I'm showing it, you're showing it, two other agents are showing it, the house is just crawling with showings, and I know it's going to be a competitive bid situation. There's also not much competing with it. So, And, and you're, you know, your client is just dying to have it. So what do you do? You write it on, yes, that's right, with an actual pen on actual paper, and you put it in a sealed envelope, and you leave it in the seller's kitchen drawer, and you call the listing agent, and you say... We are so excited about this house that we actually left an offer for your seller make sure they see it. And that's been very competitive and has worked because her market had become so competitive that by the time she got back to the office and turned it into a DocuSign, they had already lost.
0: Well, I personally, if I were selling real estate now, would uh never i would convert everything to DocuSign for the sake of using the online you can CRM still convert it later yeah. but i absolutely would have paper contracts with me every yeah. single time mm-hmm. because it gives you that sense of urgency yes. and there's also something a lot more gen- it's the delay right
1: right and to your point how do you know the seller's really even seeing it yep. so that's one workaround for that in, in a nice professional kind of way
0: exactly so, and you know listing agents uh, here's, you know, Julie and I just told, uh, tens of thousands of agents out there that if you're being complacent and you're not presenting all offers and you're not returning calls to buyer's agents, that those buyer's agents in many cases are legally around, allowed to go to move past you, go directly to the seller to represent their buyer. So please, please heed this warning and make sure you're working your butts off to get the highest price and best terms for your seller every single time. And be respectful to the buyer's agents, guys, because in a marketplace like this, you're going to need the buyer's agents. You're not gonna just treat them like, you know, something to have to, you know, overcome and dealing with all these offers. You're gonna discover that for every like 10 or 20 showings you get. You're going to have most of these agents that are showing the properties don't have the skill set yet to get the property in contract. Their buyers are going to be nervous about this, the other thing. But then you're going to start seeing there's very, very good buyer's agents. Mm-hmm. You will find out who those are when you're a listing agent and just look in the MLS to see who's selling most of the houses. Befriend those people because chances are they're the ones that are going to bring the offer to your uh, your listing. And If you don't do that and you're adversarial like you many were in the previous market, you will find that the buyer's agents, especially the good ones when there's competing properties will not show your properties or not Mm -hmm. show them knowing that, you know, with the same gusto, knowing that you're a pain in the butt to work with. They
1: might actually avoid you. I mean, that market is coming for sure. So don't forget about that listing agents. All right. My number seven is there a contingency plan if it's your seller, if it doesn't sell or doesn't sell for a certain price, you need to know if keeping the home is an option for them or is this a must-sell situation. Again, that pre-negotiation checklist and the pre-qualifying checklists are all part of the Premier Coaching Program. And it's funny, you know, I always tell the story to my coaching clients, and I think you'll remember this. What happens also if it does sell right away, but they didn't expect it? So do you remember the house that we sold in Chesterville, Ohio, in the middle totally of nowhere? Do. In fact, we having lived in Ohio you, our whole lives till then, had to look up where Chesterville even was. And I'm going
0: to tell you why I remember that. Because mm-hmm. you and I had been in the business for like three years or four mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And this lady was so freaking nice. And we'd known her. She came into an open house or somehow. We had a longstanding, very friendly relationship with her. And she called us out to list this property. It was just a little nothing house on a lake in the middle of nowhere. It was like nowhere. a cabin
1: with 50 acres. It was very scenic. Didn't had didn't really of have 50 acres? Yeah, oh. but the cabin itself was like 800 square feet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So no comps, you know, nobody in the, you know, just, I don't even remember how to get there. You couldn't, I couldn't find well, it on a yeah, Google Yeah, well,
1: you do because it was near mid-Ohio racetrack.
0: Oh, that's true. Now I do remember. That's, <laughs> that's right. the only
1: reason that you would remember. Well, <laughs> so
0: we priced this thing and we priced, it was seller's pricing. We overpriced this thing. And then like the first two days it sells and it sells for full asking price. And here's what really got her going. It's another agent bought it for himself.
1: Yeah. And by the way, to date, that was the highest sale ever in Chesterville, How Ohio. How do you know that? Because I did the CMA. I and mean, I, and oh, I and because mean, I thought that it was very high. To
0: date then. To date
1: then. Yeah. Not to date now. Like
0: forever in Chesterville, Ohio. Like yeah. it's called Chesterville. I mean, you know, there's Chester and then, you know, the little town he founded and like 14 <laughs> people. Okay. Exactly. So, yeah. And she was livid. And this little cute lady, I remember her because she just like turned into a demon hunted us down, tracked us down, was stalking us.
1: It was on Easter. I remember that, yeah, Oh, <laughs> my
0: gosh. She was so pissed off. And I remember her husband Ugh. was like, uh, he he actually was like, oh, my God. He was embarrassed how mean his wife was and how angry she was. And I think really what we'd stepped into was a the resolution of a marital dispute that she didn't want resolved. And it was like, well, let's just put the house for sale. If it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We're just going to keep it and forever. And I don't think
1: they expected it to sell. And the
0: husband probably wanted it sold, mm-hmm. and she didn't want it sell. So in her mind, she worked on all these conspiracy theories. In the meanwhile, we did exactly what we were paid to do. We sold the house for full asking price, and it closed. But those are funny situations.
1: But here's the coaching in that, right? You have to consult with your sellers. What happens to their plans if it does sell right away this weekend and what happens to their plans if it takes a little bit longer so that you don't get into a situation where you surprise them one way or the other because I think in our situation, she just hadn't really broken up with the house yet, Sure. you know, and it was a big emotional mess and she didn't have enough time to work through all of that. When you have those conversations, well, you know, what would they do? What if it's a just amazing offer that we can't turn down, But they have to have possession a little bit sooner than you'd like. What are your plans? What would you do in that situation? I need you to be thinking about that, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, just in case we luck out over the first weekend or two, and we come up with an offer that you just shouldn't refuse.
0: This is going to be mind-boggling to some of you, but very, very rarely, aside from investors, is price the most important thing to a seller? Like, hardly ever. You think it is, you act like it is, but what you don't know is it's convenience, it's hassle. That's what's most, Julie said, possession, right? These are the things you've got to know. These are the reasons that you have to learn how to negotiate. But what you really have to do is you have to have all the pre-qualification questions answered immediately, the, uh, the first meeting with that seller, ideally on the phone, so you can absolutely positively know how to approach every single seller and get the property sold. Guys, this can't, you, hopefully you're seeing, I know you are, that skills give you an unfair advantage, don't mm-hmm. they, Right more than anything else, more than marketing, more than branding. Because if you know how to put a deal together and this other agent that has, has 16 billion followers on Instagram, they don't know your skills, they don't have your skills, you're the one that's gonna put the deal together, you're the one that's gonna get paid. If you're wondering why these agents that have that are have no influence in your community, how they're the ones that are taking all the listings and selling all the houses, it's because they have skills. <laughs> get anybody. the skills, right? Do the work, do the real work of real estate. And always lead with the idea that if you don't like, if you were wondering why it is that somebody has more than you, why they have a, you know, what you perceive to be a better life, why they have better relationships, why they have better cars, houses, everything, why they have better clothes, why they have, be- why is it that has, someone has more money, wealth, income? Why? It's because what they have figured out is that the more people they help, in other words, the service they provide or the product that they sell to accomplish that, consumers, Uh, you know, goals, solve their problem, the more of what they're going to want in life. The more successful an agent becomes, the more that agent is successful because they're not putting themselves first. They're putting the betterment of their client first. They're thinking about how can I make this person's life better? So when you see somebody that has what you want, don't be jealous of that person. Realize that that person has simply helped more people. That's the reason that they have whatever it is that you're feeling envious of. You guys get it? That is the truth about exactly what it takes to accomplish more mm-hmm. and have more in life. Help more people. How do you help more people? You have to earn the right to help more people that comes from having the skill set to solve the problem that they have, especially in a market like this. We are giving you the bottom line truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate or probably anything else in life. Um, and I hope you're taking it seriously. Thank you for all the five-star reviews on iTunes. Thank you for continuing to make this the number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in the United States. If you loved today's show, which hopefully you did, scroll to the bottom of iTunes right now, give us a five-star review, and leave a piffy comment. We love those piffy comments, especially when you are telling your story about what you learned from one of the past podcasts. A lot of you are longtime listeners. You've been listening to us for years and you built your careers around what you've learned on this podcast, please do reciprocate. Give us a five-star review and give us a great comment. It means the world to us. In the meantime, guys, thank you for continuing to make this the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate professionals and at least the United States. Have a fantastic day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.